0: People's Poetry Podcast, with me, Jimmy Bowman. Well hello, welcome to episode three series four of People's Poetry Podcast. This is the poetry podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, an aspiring poet and teacher alike as I travel the UK talking to established poets as well as poets who have just taken their first steps into the world of poetry as I try to find out why it is we have just such a love affair with poetry in this country. This is a podcast aimed not just at those who already like poetry but those who've never really considered it before. I want to show you that there's something in the world of poetry written for you series four is the first series in 2020 and what an odd year it's been so far these certainly are unprecedented times we're living in i'm of course referring to the global pandemic and the spread of coronavirus however these strange circumstances have produced some rather wonderful things many of which involve people turning to and engaging with the arts as we've seen a boom in virtual workshops poetry recitals and many beautiful conversations about poetry series four was born out of this positivity and although i enjoy traveling to the poet and chatting to them face to face i've still been blessed to have four incredibly inspiring and engaging conversations via the magic of zoom it's also meant we've crossed over into international waters with ease for the first time in the podcast history how about that now, this episode's poet really is living proof of the reason I do this podcast. This episode, I chat to Juliet Morton, who is a poet that wasn't on my radar at all and tell her amazing entry, The Toots, won our very first writing challenge during this lockdown period. Ah, what a poem it is, and she's very kindly done a recital of it for you at the end of this episode but you can of course go and read it for yourself over on our social media pages what was lovely about chatting to Juliet was seeing just how immersed into the world of poetry she is she lives and breathes poetry had a really nice conversation about her writing process and her approach to poetry and she's involved in so many amazing beautiful projects surrounding poetry it was great to talk to a poet about writing poetry to do with place, which is something I've always adored but I've never been very good at myself. Anyway, enough from me. Here it is. So I'm chatting today to Juliet Morton, who is the winner of our first writing, lockdown writing challenge. Um I thought it would be nice to yeah congratulations, I thought it'd be nice to, to chat to you and um talk poetry. How are you? Yeah I'm good,
1: thank you. And thanks for uh the badges and everything that I got through
0: the post and I'll have you know that that is the first poetry competition I've ever won So I was thrilled. Oh really? Yeah. Oh that's cool <laughs> yeah I've, everyone seems to like the badges I think it's nice to get something in the post especially during lockdown to so yeah, show so so your achievement. Before we talk about your your winning entry because I'd love to hear you talk more about that the toots I thought we'd talk about I'd like to start all the conversations I have with you know what what your route into poetry was I suppose um, what was your calling to poetry when were you first aware of it and and what sort of propelled you to start writing
1: god that's quite a big question i, <laughs> I guess then um, so i have been into poetry for i mean decades right and actually i think i wrote my first sort of proper poem when i was about six or seven i can remember it right now mm. um but then i never really took it seriously and for quite a long time i uh, i didn't write at all um, and then I sort of hit my late twenties, I suppose, and I started doing a bit of writing. And then I decided to sort of write prose. And so uh, for a long time, I was writing prose. And I went to the uh, MA at Goldsmiths,
2: okay, yeah,
1: Creative and Life Writing there. And I was writing a novel on that, and I got picked up by a couple of agents, and I was kind of heading down that path. And then then I had kids. So almost immediately that I finished my Goldsmiths. Um, masters, I went as a mature student. I was kind of pregnant at the end of the course, and the children just sort of took over my life like they do, and yeah. I just didn't have time to be honest. to Focus on the novel, and I was frustrated so so much of the time because I was trying to write. I was trying to write, but I just I just didn't have the headspace for it really. Yeah. And poetry kind of like sort of. Crept into the cracks. I just remember I had this moment about two years ago when I almost literally threw the manuscript for my novel in the bin. I was just like, I can't do this anymore. It's just making me feel frustrated. It's making me feel like a failure as a writer as well because I wasn't actually getting it done, and I kept doing drafts, and I was never finishing it. Yeah. I
2: was
1: like, right, I said, I'm done with writing. And then, like about eight weeks later, I guess it was, I just started writing poems, and I, I just haven't stopped ever since. So it sort of, it just sort of snuck up on me i'm just writing all the time now yeah but it's something that's always been in my bones and i do remember when i was writing back in my kind of novel writing days i was i remember saying to a really good friend of mine i actually think i might be a poet yeah Yeah, people read my my prose all the time and they say that's so lyrical yet so poetic you know that was a constant comment that would always come back but i just resisted it for a long time a long-winded answer to your question but that's good it's good it's sort of by mistake basically like No, so it sort of snuck up on me, like I say. And um,
0: were you reading a lot of sort of yeah, poetry at the time? Who, always. who, who, which sort of poets sort of jumped jumped out of the page to you, or do you think perhaps slyly inspired you?
1: I mean, I read so much poetry, and I've, I've read so much poetry, like across the uh, full kind of like British and American and African and Caribbean canon of literature. I was actually an English academic a long time ago, and so I used to teach a bit of poetry and whatnot. In terms of, like, who jumps out at me now, I mean, I love Fiona Benson, Alice Oswald, Helen Dunmore's Inside the Waves, the last collection that she wrote as she was dying. Still, is just an amazing kind of litmus paper for me every time I go to that collection. I'm a great lover of of poetry, of, of place and landscape, perhaps less a lover of lyrical poetry, so I read probably quite a lot of place poets. But I'm also really interested in... I'm I'm interested in alternative voices. I'm not really interested in the canon, right, in the literary canon as such, like, it kind of doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really float my boat at all. So I actively kind of go looking for different and new voices. Last year, I really enjoyed Raymond Antrobus's collection, Anthony Alex uh Roger Robinson, Blew Me Away. Mm. Um, those kinds of writers that I just find exciting and interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um Ishan Hutchins. There's a few there's there, you've so said. so many, there's just so many. Yeah. Yeah. Ocean Wong, I love.
0: Yeah, Roger Roger Robinson, uh, it's been about three months ago. I don't, I don't think I've ever read anything by him before, but yeah, he really was brilliant.
1: Jack Bernard has um their collection, Surge, I don't know if you saw that last year about the new crossfires okay I saw them read at the T.S. Eliot prize readings on the South Bank back in January it was unbelievable I mean they held that giant auditorium of people like in the palms of their hands it was just extraordinary that's another amazing collection that came out last year
0: I have just give that a read in terms of you know you, you had a big period of time where perhaps you weren't writing and I think was it to me you said before this that it was only sort of eighteen months ago, really you sort of took writing quite seriously now now you 're you know back into the groove as it were what what i 'm always interested in talking to other writers about their their writing process if if that you do have one some writers don't, but do not but do you find that you 've got a way that you write, or is it quite sporadic?
1: Well, I write all the time and I write most days, so like whether I have a process or not within that i'm not i'm not sure it's definitely tied. To walking for me, like uh, yeah. So I start most days with a walk of some description, and that might be after I have got the kids at school, or while we're in lockdown, I get out really early and I take the dogs for a walk, and that's my time really to gather my thoughts. And quite often, an idea will snag on my mind while I'm out walking. And uh, I'll come back like with a poem, or you know, I'll be developing something in my head, and I quite often take notes like on my phone while I'm walking, and that's my process really. Yeah. Early in the morning, late at night.
2: Okay. Um,
1: and more and more lately, I definitely write in my head, so I often get a poem quite fully formed in terms of its content in my mind before I commit much to paper and I don't like to commit too much to paper until I've got a bit of clarity in my head about what I'm trying to write about or what I'm trying to do with the poem or what I'm trying to say with the poem
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, unless I'm using a form so like if if I'm trying to write like I was trying to write loads of forms last year and um, just to kind of improve my craft so writing sonnets and cartoons yeah. and stuff like that and then I perhaps will commit things to paper sooner just to kind of get that structure in place, yeah. Um, but yeah, but otherwise, I tend not to put things down until quite late on. And then, you know, actually, Roger Robinson, I went to a Zoom like workshop with him the other day, and he was saying like writing a poem should take as much psychic space up in your head as brushing your teeth. And I thought that was actually an amazing piece of advice because it, I think it's really easy to get um, overwrought. When you're writing poems and it's quite important to kind of get those ideas, you know, down in your head or on the page as soon as you can. And then the kind of the writing of it really is in the edit.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and then just sort of like working it over. But also with a lightness of touch, I think that's really important is to try and keep that lightness of touch. And I think when you don't, it becomes really obvious when in the reading of a poem that it's got all tight and mm. kind of, you know, turned in on itself and and um, you can sort of you can see it you can feel
0: it on the page i think one one positive that has come from you know the situation in the minute is these uh as you said like zoom workshops and there's there's lots going on and i think i'm similar to you in terms of writing in that if i have an idea i don't like committing it to paper until i thought about it you know so much so i can see a light at the end of the tunnel i think right there's a point to this despair <coughs> i'm trying to say something but everything I'm seeing online at the minute, just as what you said about the the Roger Robinson brushing the teeth is that this idea of free writing. I've been speaking all week to people about this. So I'd never really heard of this concept before. It's just writing, but not trying to edit or not going back, not scribbling anything out, not worrying about grammar. And I find that quite an unnatural process. Right. Is that something you, you know, sort of strikes a chord with you? Because I suppose if you're thinking of this idea and you, you don't want to commit it to paper unless there's unless you've got this idea fleshed out that's kind of the same
1: yeah well as sort of not free writing or as free writing
0: sort there's of nice so it goes against the idea of free writing doesn't it but if it's if it's supposed to take the time that you clean your teeth in you that that's the yeah. same you're not supposed but to I think there's,
1: yeah but i think that there's like a distinction between like what he's talking about like free writing and what he's saying about like the conception of a poem, you know what I mean. So he's like sort saying like don't like don't try too hard like mm. pulling the poem idea together and I think like that's what I think that's what he was trying to get at. Then do work on it, you know, and actually sometimes I um I'll get quite I'll get quite annoyed by people just thinking anyone can just write poetry because I don't think that's true. And yeah. I think there is there's sure there's talent, but there is an art to it, you know, and it, and it is a craft but it's a specific craft that um, I think it's important for all of us to learn yeah. you know, and I feel like I'm an apprentice and I don't think I'll ever stop feeling like an apprentice to the to the trade of the craft of poetry and I think you know, that's where the editing comes in, is that it's kind of it's like the sculptor with their chisel, you know, like the chicken wing kind of, kind of shaping it, until, it until, it's, until it's right and free writing has a role I think in kind of getting ideas out there but whether or not you know but, I, mean, I don't think that's the be all and end all of it. Yeah, you know, there's
0: a whole other hinterland of process that needs to go on to make a good poem. I think I think the edit is, you know, something a lot of people struggle with. People got ideas, but it, it's the editing of it. And I know certainly when I started writing, it was almost like in the edit, I'd I'd be trying to imitate poetry that I knew was successful, for want of a better word, and yeah,
2: yeah.
0: And, and that almost hindered me. What what is does the editing process? look like for yourself when you when you've got that idea you've committed it to paper is it is it a long sort of arduous process or are you, you sort of getting more used to what editing looks like now that you've been doing it a while
1: yeah i don't know i i do you know what i think it i think it um it's partly about experience but it's also about um it's about in each individual poem so like some poems come like really fully formed i think mm. and, and like yeah. almost like ready to go like you know by the time you get them to the page. But so it just really depends on the case by case. Sometimes when I'm writing a poem and I know there's something in it, but I haven't got to it yet. Those are the kind of poet poems that take a lot more editing and sometimes I'll go to a kind of I will go to the poet for inspiration sometimes, thinking, okay, you know, the kind of poem I'm aiming for is a I don't know, somebody I don't know, Derek Walcott, mean, maybe that but, you know, and I might go and have a look through just to sort of Maybe so you pick out a word or just an image or just something that would just help me to kind of get back into the groove of my poem.
2: That's a nice idea.
1: Yeah, I do find that quite helpful. And then I was reading this really interesting um essay by Caroline Bird the other day about, she's like, you know, once you think you've got your idea, don't stop, like keep going. You need to kind of like work out what the game of the poem is, but also what's beyond, like what's beyond the edge of the poem and that's when you really get your poem. Right. Kind of going on where you think consciously where you think you're going when you first start out. And I think that's quite interesting. So I've been trying to do that, like literally over the last sort of week or two. And it is kinda of interesting where you end up and I don't know whether that's gonna be a successful strategy for me or not, but it's an interesting idea.
0: Yeah, sounds interesting. another thing we've been speaking about, especially I don't know, it's come up a few times this series already, chatting to various poets, is this idea about um of sort of finding your own voice when you start out writing. Is that something you feel you're you know that you have found that you're comfortable with at this stage or do you think that finding your voice isn't is like a continuous process
1: yeah I mean I think I think like I do use quite a lot of like characters and I think this might partly be because of my background in what's like like writing fiction Mm -hmm. but I use quite a lot of character voices in my tone. So my voice, the voice of the poem might not necessarily be my voice as a poet. But I think that where, like the way I would like frame my own voice is around not necessarily how I sound, although it would be in word choice, I guess, but it's it's in what I choose to talk about, what I choose to think about in my poetry and like the kind of places that I choose to set my work. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, like for me, this kind of getting into the poetry thing—I'm in my mid-40s now. I've been—I feel a bit like I've been waiting to do this for a while, and I've got my voice. I just know I have.
2: Yeah. It's
1: partly—I just, just feel like I, I don't know. I've just been waiting around for it for quite a long time, and now I've got it. I'm off, right? And it is, and I'm really clear. I think. Just because I've given it a lot of thought over the years while I've been like breastfeeding late at night with my kids. Do you know what I mean? And all this sort of in the darkness of the night and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, just kind of thinking about what things matter to me and what I want to say. And I do keep reminding myself, I don't think I've got it nailed at all. I keep reminding myself of it all the time of what am I trying to say? What? So I want to see with my poems what, what makes what I'm doing different. I won't say unique necessarily, but, you know, different. What makes my voice different? You know, I think there's times where, um, you can doubt that too and just think, well, who wants to listen to like a middle-aged woman from like rural Gloucestershire? Mm. But, you know, then you just have to kind of crack on. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're just compelled to do it. So
0: I think, I think that self-doubt something, uh, a lot of, a lot of writers definitely, um, writers starting out anyway or or sort of in our positions where you know we've not got hundreds of collections out in the shelves of waterstones it's something you continuously question yourself that is 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 this worth anything I guess yeah yeah
1: and it takes a lot of emotional energy
0: yeah when you're sort of talking about um writing process and it's, it's a question that I've asked many times I've answered many times um, and I never seem to get the same answer twice is when you've got your poem and you invested this time in it and you you feel like you've come to the end how is it for you that you know right that's that's done now I'm gonna stop because you could you could endlessly tinker with a poem I I, I don't and there's lots of lovely quotations about how a poem's never done but when when is it that you put the pen down you go right that is that is it
1: well, I definitely go through a process of once I've kind of got it out of my head and onto the page and I've edited it into a point where I think it's almost there, then I start printing it out. I write by hand and then I print it out mm-hmm. and I start looking at it on the page. And it's the moment that I stop changing words, then I know it's done. Um, and sometimes that can be really quick and sometimes it can take like, you know, 20 edits, 20 different versions of the poem. And sometimes, you know, I've got those few straggling poems hanging about that I'm not happy with and they're still not finished and perhaps they never will be yeah also a thing about you know needing to let go sometimes but yeah for me it's when i stop messing about with like you know taking commas out and putting them back in again or dashes or you know full stops or yeah you know that that sort of thing then i just i just know it's something you know you've got i think
0: yeah Yeah, I'd agree. Why is it you write by hand? I write by hand more often than... Uh,
1: Yeah, I I think there's some sort of... um, I think there's a really important connection between the brain and the the hand that comes out with the slowness of writing by hand that you do not get when you're typing.
0: Yeah, I think... I think you're forced to think more about, you know, what, what words are stuck on the page if you're writing it by hand. It's just easy to press backspace and delete if you're typing out a poem, I think. Yeah,
1: right. And I like scribbling around all over the place. Like I've, I get like a big A4 pad and I'm scribbling notes all over like in different spaces and stuff. And that helps me to solve.
0: Yeah yeah I mean that's what I do with these with these podcasts I just scroll right, yeah. over, over over pads and things I think it looks quite artistic as well I've seen online as well um just a couple of things that you know you've said to me and and, and things that you've been reading and there's this idea you know about every all poets want to get their stuff out there and, and be quote unquote successful I guess in poetry but how often are you sort of Applying to get your your poetry in places is rejection. Uh, a massive. It seems to be a massive part of of all writers' sort of motivation to carry on getting the rejections back. But is there anything in your writing career so far that you've you've heard in terms of uh, gaining success that you'd wish you'd known earlier, perhaps? Mm. I saw because I mean, like I've seen. Uh, I haven't read it myself. I was going to ask you if it was any good. The the craft, which is all about sort of writing poetry in the twenty first century, but i mean is there anything you've you've read or been told that in terms of getting your work out there has been quite helpful on your journey
1: well i think like definitely a role in kind of what i was doing it was a kind of shock to realize like how low the uh, acceptance rate is Mm. on a lot of especially print journals um and that was a real turning point for me was sort of recognizing that actually you know you're talking two to three percent in some journals it's a ten percent acceptance rate, you know, this the rejection rate is gonna be like huge. And if you're not getting, you know, a hundred rejections a year, you're not doing it right. And, yeah. Um now I forget that from time to time and occasionally I'll get sort of disheartened and I'm not as good at sending out stuff as I should be, really. And that's not necessarily because I don't want to. It's just because I just get stuck into writing so much that I sort of forget. And I sort of realised every day that I that not sent anything out for ages. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like need to get on the case. But I was talking to a poet and he's a really well established, uh, I won't say their name, but they're a really well established poet with, I don't know, four or five connect- collections under their belt. And they were saying of 117 poems that they sent out last year, 103 got rejected. Wow. So, you know, that just I mean, I don't know if this is bad, but it just made me feel a whole lot better. I was like, you know, yeah. Definitely yeah. I never would have thought that. Yeah. It seems, so I mean that's happening up, right? And just recognising it's not personal and also recognising sometimes you don't always send your work to the right place, if it's not their vibe or yeah, you and know, also recognising sometimes you're not ready yet. You know, I look back at some of the early stuff I wrote and I realize now it wasn't right, it wasn't ready to get sent out.
0: Yeah yeah i think i think because as you said you, you put so so many hours so many minutes into especially editing this one idea and then some sometimes you can take it a bit too personally when it's the fifth rejection for the same poem but i think you're right it's water off a duck's back is, is what you need to be
1: yeah
0: so you've got lots of lots of Projects, as I said before this chat, that I wanted to ask you about. So some of them I've heard of, some of them I, I don't have a, a Scooby. So it'd be really interesting to, to you know, see what you're up to. One of the projects I've seen uh, on your Twitter that you were involved with, or, or some of your poetry was uh, involved with, was this Places of Poetry. Yeah. Yeah. So is that, I'm right in thinking, because I think they followed me a while ago and they, they were, you wrote a poem and it's on a sort of digital map of the UK. Is that, is that what it is?
1: Yeah, so it was, um it was at the brainchild of Paul Farley. You know Paul Farley? and um, the poet? Um yeah. he, uh, has done a lot of poetry with place and did like this amazing book called Edgelands with Michael Simmons Roberts and it's all about like the edges of places like the, the industrial estates, the kind of disused bits of the old canals and stuff like that and he's kind of really interested in that kind of thing. There was That's him cool. and this uh, academic down at University of Exeter. And they got together with the Ordnance Survey Map, and I think the Poetry Book Society, and they put together this project. It was England focused, I think, a digital map of the country, and they invited poets from all over the country to pin their poems to places on the map, um that were about those places. It's it's actually um I don't want to say rehash because that sounds rude, <laughs> but it's a, it's a kind of it's a reimagining of the, something called the polyolbion, which was I think like a sixteenth, seventeenth century text which tried to gather literatures, the written word from all over the country to try okay. and pull together like different stories from different parts of the country. And they were kind of like, let's do it again for the twenty first century. So it was a year long project that they did last year and thousands of poets contributed and I think they ended up with like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of poems. But just like I don't know how and they've just they just picked up I could I do so much prayer place poetry. I posted probably about ten or eleven poems on the map around all around where I live. And they just they picked up on a couple of them and then they um, they asked if they could make a film about one of them which is about um Stradwater Navigation Canal which is the canal which connects the Thames River with the Severn. Um, and i would written a poem about it because it played like a really major role in britain's colonial expansion partly as a trade route through from london out to bristol and then on to like africa america caribbean and also because around here was the center of an incredibly powerful textile industry and a lot of the cloth from the industry was used as a trading cloth so it was used to um, trade with Native Americans and uh, Inuits in Canada um, and it was used Then it was kind of taken on as this Native American ceremonial cloth, it's kind of woven into war shirts, it's a really incredible interesting, and it's something that I'm really really interested in exploring in my poetry is about like how we kind of come to terms with that colonial past and we Don't just look at all the mill buildings and the canal around here is just this beautiful quaint like idyllic looking nice place to go and walk but actually recognize that it's got this kind of violent path and so the poem is kind of about that and it's about the voice i mean it's a character it's obviously not me they drink the whole canal and it's kind of what they taste and what it makes them do when they drink the entire canal down in one long swallow so that's that was that and so they came and they filmed it um like last october with little crew and um they filmed me they filmed um a football poet, so there's this woman who's really into liverpool football club and um she i think she might even be the official like club poet or something and they 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 filmed her yeah and um yeah another guy down in portsmouth who's really into submarines
0: that's cool though that's uh filming poetry i mean performing poetry is that something you do much would you say you're more of a page poet than a sort of stage poet, or do you do a bit of both
1: i'm definitely a page poet yeah yeah i mean i until recently i mean I struck the fear of god in me to be honest to do any performing mm. but um i've sort of got a bit more used to it now i, I don't really mind doing it but it's not it's not i feel like i haven't got enough a thousand whistles on my poetry to be a proper kind of spoken word performer i think it's
0: perhaps works better on the page but um, i do see the occasional performance that's,
1: that's that self-doubt creeping
0: in again yeah <laughs> <laughs> the to the places of poetry that, that, that's something that's been going on for a year like a year as you said you are that outposted project you run that one I'm right and saying yes, well, that's you,
1: something completely different completely
0: different but it involves posting poetry does it i know nothing about this one but it looks really cool so
1: this one is totally a response COVID-19 and the lockdown so it's about bringing together a collective of poets uh, there's a couple of novelists involved as well cool. and there's some performers there's a circus involved.
2: A circus? Um, yeah. Wow.
1: Uh, a very well known vintage circus and there are oil painters, artists, drawing uh, 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 textile designers and so on there's actually twenty eight of us now. There's a composer who's involved um and a couple of musicians in field recording. And what we're doing is we've taken an ordinance survey map of the area that we live in and we are taking each taking like a fold of the map each. Right, and okay. we're putting contributions on that into that fold of the map from each of us. And it I did my my I went first and I put a poem. Mm-hmm. In fact, I put the tubes. it's a really nice connection with this podcast. Yeah. I put the tubes onto the map, and I folded it back up, and I put it in the post, and I sent it to a guy who does um, uh, woodcut printing. And then, so he's going to put a print onto the map, and then he's going to fold it back up, and he's going to send it on. So who knows who it will go to next? I know the composer is planning to walk an area of the map in isolation and then do a a musical response and write a score and put that on the map so it's really interesting be a really collective like piece of artwork at the end which we will exhibit somewhere we may uh, also be able to exhibit it online and so it's a pilot project so hopefully it will all hang together and the Calibre, like the the artists that we've got on board, is kind of amazing, and it, it's been really well received. So hopefully, it will be a success. And then we're thinking that we might potentially do maps in other parts of the the region, the country. You know, if yeah,
0: definitely. Places. That's such a lovely idea, especially having more than just sort of uh, you know literature involved as well. The the music and the scores that's that's beautiful.
1: I think it's that kind of recognition that you know we need to go across boundaries and kind of come together as a coll- collective kind of artistic community. <laughs> And it just sort of seemed like
0: appropriate for the time. Yeah, definitely. Well, like I said, I like the fact that uh, I see you post it on as well. There's something, I don't know, something great about receiving things like that in the post, especially at this time. The other thing I, saw, I see on your Twitter, it says you're you're a poet in residence. What does that entail? That sounds like a lot of responsibility. What, what, is, <laughs> what what's, what's a poet in residence in So talk to us about that. So I'm um, poet in
1: residence at a lake where a lake in the Cotswold Water Park. So the Cotswold Water Park is uh, um, an area of kind of outstanding natural beauty. It's a, it's a big uh, park, which you've got about, I don't know, like 121 lakes in it or something. But one of them you can swim in. And I swim in there all year. And It's called Lake 32, um, or Waterland. And, um, yeah, I swim there all year round. And there's been a really, like, strange connection between me starting to write poetry, which I should have mentioned right at the start, actually, be starting to write poetry and kind of finding my voice and really sort of committing to poetry and starting cold water swimming in the winter. Right. So a couple of years ago, I began swimming like in late September at this lake and just kind of carried on all winter right through the snow, the ice, and just go in like a couple of times a week whenever I could get there. And it was this kind of amazing like factory reset on my brain, like every single week. And it just sort of gave me this incredible kind of like clarity but it also gave me this sort of um like courage to just yes. go for it and do what i've always really wanted to do and um which was kind of doing more and more and more writing and, and making much more space for it in my life so that's kind of yeah, you know, i was just going there a lot and the residency kind of came out of that so they asked me to do a residency this year see how it goes so every month i'm writing a poem which is based around the lake or inspired by the lake. That's really and cool. I started back in January and I'm just I'll be on like my, my fifth one now so we're just going into I'm just getting ready to do something for May and we've decided to keep the residents going even though you can't go to the lake at the moment to swim because of lockdown. Yeah. But so just trying to maintain people's connections with place and it means a lot to a lot of people. You know, a lot of people go to that lake who are grieving and um, who have got, you know, Poor mental health and it really has a powerful effect on people. Um, and so we thought it was important, like I say, to sort of maintain that connection. So just finishing off a piece about nightingales, which um, nest uh, near the lake at this time of year. They return from West Africa. Okay. And so we decided to do a piece about, about them. So yeah, that's my, my lake poetry residence. And, and I love it and I'm really missing. You know, like not
0: being able to get out at the moment is hard. But another, such so many lovely ideas that you're, you're talking about and you're involved in. And I don't know, just chatting to you, place poetry is something I've probably only fairly recently got into. Um It wasn't until I had to start teaching the A level syllabus so I forgot yeah. how much actually I quite like Wordsworth and you know the the Romantic poetry, which is you know all all about these beautiful areas of of England. And chatting to you. It, um it just sounds like you're very much uh, not all of your work but a lot of it is influenced by um, your environment which is it's lovely lovely to hear but we're, I think
1: as well like what a lot of people forget about like Wordsworth and the Romantics was how radical they we were in their day yeah you know I remember sort of discovering that when I was studying English at university and sort of realising that actually you know this kind of I wandered lonely as a child stuff marks a whole kind of hinterland of a kind of revolution in radicalisation and mm-hmm. kind of you know, talking about, like, power dynamics and the politics and so on. And I think, you know, like, a lot of what I kind of, my my kind of place poetry definitely comes out of that tradition of kind of trying to give voice to a place that is kind of, like, often quite marginalised.
2: Yeah.
1: Kind of, you know, doesn't necessarily have much of a place in in literature. And I'm kind of really interested in that
0: where can the uh, lake poems be be read if anyone wanted to check them out are they published anywhere
1: Um, uh, they will be at the end of the year but at the moment they are, i put them on my blog every month so on my website which is jlmorton.com there's a page um specifically for um the waterlands uh poet and residence poems
0: cool you know i'll check, check those out myself i suppose that that links nicely into talking about um the poem that first brought you to my attention which which is the Toots which won our first writing challenge. Um for all the sort of reasons i I, I just spoke about and mentioned this, you know, I've got a I've never been there, but I had a real sort of connection with this place by just reading the poem. I just wondered if you could talk us through it for, for anyone that has, that listened to the podcast and has read, uh, your work on social media.
1: Yeah, of course. So like it came out of a couple of things. It came out of a visit that I did to the Toots. I used to live really close to the Toots actually when I first moved back down. I'm from the area originally, but like I, I lived overseas for a long time and I lived in London and I moved back down here. I, Years ago, when I first moved back down, um, I, I lived really close to the Toots. When I went to visit it at the at the close of the year last year on the thirty first of January, just at stuff and it was sort of a really beautiful uh evening, and it was that kind of it was beautiful looking out kind of across uh, the Seven Vale, which goes all the way across to. Over the Severn and to Wales and, and beyond, and you can you get these kind of epic, amazing views from up there. And then um, the Long Barrow, which is what the tooth is, is a, a, a Neolithic tomb shrine, like a burial place. And there's various kind of theories about, and it's all theoretical because we're never going to know, you know, yeah. about what the Neolithic people kind of used to use it for. But there's like a lot of theory around it being a place where not only did people bury their dead they would go back there to invoke the ancestors when they needed some guidance in, in life. So I was kind of thinking about that, and I was kind of thinking about kind of paying respect to the close of the year, the death the death of the year, you know, on the 31st of, of December. And it was kind of on my mind to write a poem about it at some point. And then kind of the year kind of got underway, and and then lockdown happened. And um, I can walk up to the suits from my house um, as part of my kind of daily state sanctioned exercise. Yeah. And we've been in lockdown for about, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks and I was kind of you know storming up there and, you know, it, things were getting getting quite a bit of cabin fever going on at home and kind of just needing to just break out in the way that we all do, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was sort of going up there and and thinking, you know, actually it would be great if you could kind of go up there and ask for advice from your ancestors, for kind of guidance really, to kinda of help us through this really difficult moment in our lives. And that's kind of where that was the kind of the, the the root really of the of the poem. And I was thinking, you know, which ancestor would I would I call on? And it would almost certainly be my my gran, who was always very very kind. And she, oh just remember there was one thing that she always used to say, which is that if you ever see a single magpie, one for sorrow on its own, look for the other, look for the joy, and you'll yeah. always find it. And for me, that summed up so perfectly the kind of person that she was and the person that I would aspire to be. And I just thought somehow I need to bring these elements together in the poem. Yeah. So that's kind of like, you know, where, where it came from and kind of how it took, how it took shape. Yeah. How it kind of came to be. And I just kind of quite like that sort of slightly bonkers kind of, you know, raising people back up from the dead. Mm.
0: but it, it all sort of makes sense like you know whether it be the history of the place and the sort of ancestral parts of it it, it did all sort of make sense and there's something magical about grandparents anyway I think so
2: yeah, it, yeah.
0: It, it all tied in beautifully all that remains for me to ask you is it's quite a broad question um, and I ask all the poets that, that come on and chat is why in your opinion do you think people turn to poetry um, you know, especially in the 21st century such a archaic form. Form of literature as poetry still seems to be a prominent part of massive parts of people's lives, like funerals and weddings. And yeah, why is it, in your opinion, do you think that people turn to poetry?
1: I really do think that is part of the the job, or like the thing that some of our really like our greatest poets do, and the people that we do go back and read time and time again, is they somehow manage to kind of like carry the. The sort of emotional and um, psychological kind of weight of our existence and I think that we go to them for instruction and for comfort and I think it is I think it's really really interesting what's happened to poetry literally in the last sort of five years or so um as somebody who's been like an avid poetry fan for decades it's been a bit of a revolution really recently and I do think it's because, as a form, it's become super, super relevant. Into, it, it kind of provides us with authentic kind of, dare I say, content. But I think it does provide us with, like, really authentic content that is digestible very quickly in these these times when they're kind of, you know, rushing about all over the place and sort of only prepared to read a few lines or something at a time. And poetry is, like, the perfect form for our time. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I, I think, I, I agree. I also think there's an element of... Um, truth to it that you know that as we've seen a sort of decline uh, in the media and people sort of wavering trust towards yeah outlets that used to be so reliable i think poetry mm-hmm. as you say it is instant almost you can get something from it in this sort of busy 21st century can't you and, and there's an element of sort of truth to it more so than mm-hmm the old forms um, yeah that's a really
1: interesting take on it actually that i hadn't really kind of considered before i mean when i was talking about when i was talking about being authentic i guess i was talking about more like the human element but that is really that's really interesting
0: i think yeah i think i I have to teach media as well and sometimes when you're teaching you know about political bias Mm. and you look at things like the uh, leveson inquiry and things you just think it's no wonder nobody reads these things anymore They've, they've been disgusting for so long so in my mind the english teacher part of me is thinking right well that's must be why poetry is partly getting bigger i'd like to think anyway that would be a nice idea Mm. Selfish question from me, um, and it puts you on the spot, but uh, in terms of your area or people you've been reading, who are there any poets that we might not have heard of that we should be, be reading or listening to their stuff? It's a question everyone hates, because you're going to think, "Oh, I've missed so-and-so out.
1: Oh, kaiki, that I haven't already mentioned. Yeah. Anne Carson, I'm enjoying a lot at the moment. Gillian Clark is an amazing Welsh poet who I uh, was lucky enough to meet quite recently, actually, and... Um, she is. She writes a lot of play poetry, but she has a kind of foresight to know that is just sort of extraordinary. I think the person I really love to recommend
2: mm-hmm.
1: is U A. Stanford, who was a gay, really like frumpy teacher who taught at Cheltenham Ladies' College, who is like super, super, super overlooked. And she was okay. from around here. She was. She lived um, about five miles down the road from where I am right now. And I've recently been going back to her poetry. What was her name, sorry? UA Fan Thought. And I think she's sort of recognised, like well, she used to be recognised as a, as, a, as a great poet, but I think we've sort of forgotten about her at the moment. And I was reading her poetry and I was thinking, this could have been written yesterday. Kind of yeah. what she does like formally and kind of like what she does in terms like imaginatively in her poems is like really bleeding edge. It's kind of like, even now it's sort of amazing. Um and that would be like my standout, like number one like okay. recommendation to go and read her work.
0: I will check for check her out. That is why I asked that question. There you go, see? I've never yeah. heard never heard of her. Juliet, thank you for taking the time out to yeah, chat to us. You. And more importantly, thank you for you know sending in the toots. Genuinely, genuinely lot of love for that poem. I love that this podcast allows me to talk to poets that I hadn't discovered before. So thank you very much. Uh, no, it's cool. to... thanks for having me
1: on. I really appreciate
0: it. It's really I good look, fun. Totally forgot to ask where people can find you. Oh,
1: um, it, it's all JLM Morton. So and it's that... j- at JLM Morton on Twitter instagram um, instagram i don't really use it. i hate it i don't use it that much but i um, trying to use it a bit more but um yeah instagram i'm most active on so at jlm morton and instagram and jlmmorton.com
0: is my website i look forward to seeing what um the lake poems at the end of the year
1: yeah nice one thanks a lot
0: this episode's recital comes from juliet herself as I said, I was, and I still am, really, really obsessed with this poem, The Toots. Absolutely bowled over by the sense of place and the, and the magic of it, the awe of it, and the ancestral links that come through, as you heard us talk about in the conversation. Without further ado, this is Juliet Morton reading her winning Writing Challenge 1 entry, The Toots. The Toots I climbed
1: to the Toots teen shrine, lonely and looking for communion with the dad. My feet were cut on shards at the bottle dump, the minuscule pottery of infection, surfacing in my war and wounds. Pushing through the daisies and ribwork and a hail of gravel, there was my grandmother who turned up, clean as ritual, clattering her undone bones. Dash it all! Did you forget how I said to always look for the magpie's mate? They will be there. He held me till my fears be-fleshed, and all that remained was love. Always they will be there. And I felt the clouds' ontology, the certainty of shadow on land, the skylark's song-flight, the sceness of the estuary in its tide. And I caught the sight-line over the motorway to the mountains, held fast to the clear, long view of the sugar-loaf
0: as we're all stuck indoors we've upped our social media game and we've been overwhelmed with the responses we've had so far so thank you to all of you that get involved weekly we've got our weekly writing challenges happening in which you could be the lucky winner of one of our coveted people's Poetry podcast badges as well as our poem of the week for you to read too a massive thank you as always to you at home for listening if you've enjoyed the show please do share it with a friend you can find us on instagram at people's poetry podcast over on twitter at people underscore poetry you can You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter, Jbo. that's J-B-O, Penn's Poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show. If you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat or social media, just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's Podcast at hotmail.com.